Our first reading this morning is from Luke chapter 6, verses 27 to 36. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies. Do, not, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who ill-treat you. If someone strikes you on the one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Our second lesson this morning is taken from Luke 6. 37 to 49, continuing on where Colin finished. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He also told them this parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not fall, both fall into a pit? A student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of your eye? when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye, and then you will still see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognised by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars, The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I will show you he is is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When the flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. 
start of the service, we, we mentioned that Mary's off to Ethiopia next week, and we prayed for her. Good to welcome Lilu back from Africa. Done your bit in turning the world upside down with Tear Fund. Good to see you. Safe home to you. Bless you. Thank you for joining us this morning. Reciprocity. It's all about give and take. Ensuring that there is a fair and equal balance between the two. If we have a reciprocal relationship, I am not taking advantage of you. You are not taking advantage of me. There is a mutually beneficial arrangement where each of us gives something and each of us gets something back. And we're both happy. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. It's a kind of unwritten social contract. There's an expectation that if you do something for me, then I'm kind of under an obligation uh, to do something back for you. There is a debt of kindness that must be repaid. One good turn deserves another, they say. And we keep a mental tally of favours granted and accepted to make sure that there is parity on both sides. In many cultures, this is the accepted way in which people relate to each other. And there's, there's actually nothing special about it, as Jesus makes perfectly clear. Even sinners are capable of living this way, he says. Uh, they're prepared to love those who love them. They're prepared to lend something to somebody else as long as they're sure of getting it back again. The principle is, love others as much as they love you. Treat others the way they treat you. If that works well, everybody's happy. There's a negative side to it as well. Give as good as you get. Reciprocity can mean retaliation. You hit me, I'm going to hit you back. If you're nasty to me, well, you better watch out because I'm going to find ways of getting my own back on you. It's all about returning like for like, making sure that one way or another, we are all even Stevens. And it's a perfectly reasonable way to live, and it's one that works quite well in practice. But Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, that's not how I want you to live. And what he says makes for disturbing reading. If someone slaps you across the face, your instant, instinctive reaction may be, well, I'm going to hit them back then. Reciprocity. I will do to you as you have done to me. And Jesus says, no. Someone hits you, <coughs> you are to turn the other cheek. <coughs> Does that mean we politely get up and ask our assailant, oh, you've hit me once, feel free to hit me the other side of the face this time, so at least the, the bruises match? <coughs> Is it a license to give free reign to bullies and abusers by making us all their willing victims? Jesus was prone to using dramatic overstatement to make a point. His teachings are designed to be provocative, to stop and make us think. One of the things he's saying is, if someone does something wrong, let it stop with you. Okay? Let's not have, I'm going to up the ante and get my own back and get one over on you, because that just starts a, a tit-for-tat spiral of violence. If an injustice has been done, swallow it. Live with it. Don't become like the person who's wronged you by treating them the way they've treated you. You can be better than that. You can be different. Part of following Jesus is not putting into practice the, the principle of reciprocity when things go wrong. 
So how do we respond to an act of aggression? Jesus says, jettison the principle of retaliation. Don't think that just because you hit me, that gives me a right to hit you back even harder. We need to think very carefully about how we respond. But whatever response we do make must not be driven by the simple need to get our own back. There may be a justice that we need to pass it on to somebody else. There may be need to need to ensure that this person doesn't go around hitting other people. But actually, if the only reason we want our own back is because you've hurt me and I want to hurt you, Jesus says no. That turns you into the mirror image of your aggressor. Don't be like them, he says. Be like me. So do good to those who hurt you. Pray for those who persecute you. There's a challenge. Lord, be with all those terrorists who want to uh, destroy our nation and attack us and do us harm. Watch over them and keep them safe. How do you pray for your enemies? It's really hard, actually. But we're told to do it. Lord, pray. I pray for those who mean me harm. At least it enables us to see them through God's eyes, to pray for a change of heart in in their practice, in their mindset, to pray for a resolution whereby actually we find ways of achieving peace between us in some way, shape or form. That doesn't mean giving in, but it means praying for a resolution to conflict when it happens. And what about if someone wants to take or borrow something of yours? What if someone says, hey, can I borrow your new car for the next six or seven years? What do we say? Give to everyone who asks of you, Jesus says. Is it remotely practical to say, okay, yeah, it's yours. I'll ride my bike, you drive my new car. And what about that saying, if someone wants to take our cloak, we should not uh, hold back from letting them have our tunic as well. I suspect the NIV has opted for a translation that tries to make what Jesus says here a little bit more acceptable. The new Revised Standard Version comes closer to the sense when it talks about, if someone wants to take your coat, let them have the shirt off your back as well. The point is that in those days, people wore two items of clothing. There was an outer garment and there was an undergarment and there wasn't anything else. And the undergarment was a kind of shift that both men and women wore next to the skin. So what Jesus is saying here is, look, if someone wants to take your outer garment, well, strip off and give them what's underneath as well. So my advice is, here and now, let me say this, don't ask anyone in church if you can borrow their jackets. Okay? You might get more than you bargained for. But Jesus' language perhaps is not meant to be taken literally. Not saying if someone wants to take your coat, strip off and give them your underwear too. What he's saying is, is find ways of being generous. Find ways of not counting the cost. Not looking to balance the books. Not dealing with people on the basis of, of tit for tat. To some extent he's talking to people who are helpless. You know, poor, impoverished people. And if a Roman soldier comes up and says, give me your coat... There is nothing that you can do. And he's not saying that your response should be, well, you know, here you are, you can have my undergarment as well. But he's saying you can choose to give it. 
You, you can't say, that was taken from me. You can say, actually, I'm going to choose to give. I'm not going to let my free will be taken away from me. I'm going to respond in a way that preserves my dignity and my choice. In practice, we, we tend to put people into three different categories. There's the inner circle. And these are the people for whom pretty much we would do anything. We're close to them, they're close to us, we trust them, they trust us, we love them, they love us. So we'll do anything for them because we know that if it came down to it, they'd do anything for us as well without giving it second thought. Then there are the people in the middle. People a little bit further away from us socially, but these are people we regard as allies. And we wouldn't do anything for them, but we would be prepared to help them on the basis that if we were in need, they'd be prepared to do the same for us. This is the the reciprocal arrangement. And we make sure that they're not taking advantage of us and we're not being over-generous, but okay, you know, we, we can get along together so long as it's fair. And then further out, there are the outsiders. And, and yeah, there's a bit of kind of negativity towards them because they're not the same as us and we don't really trust them. And we're concerned that if we do something for them, we'd never get it back again. Uh, so these are the people we keep at a safe distance and try not to get too involved. Uh, we can't, we categorise people into one of these three categories. Mine, allies, not mine. And we tend to treat them accordingly. But Jesus says, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't categorise people in that kind of way. Treat the outside of the way you treat your nearest and dearest. Be generous. Be kind. Be forgiving. Be gracious to them. Be the kind of person who ignores or dismantles social barriers that keep people apart. Don't Treat others the way they treat you. Treat others the way you would like to be treated yourself. That's the golden rule. And take the initiative in doing it. Why? Why? Because if you live like that, then you will be sons and daughters of the Most High. Because your Father is kind to people who are wicked and ungrateful. Fred Bruce put it really well. God bestows his blessings without discrimination. The followers of Jesus are children of God. And they should manifest the family likeness by doing good to all, even to those who deserve the opposite. That's great in action. Not treating others the way we feel they deserve. Grace is about not treating people the way they deserve but treating them with a generosity that is modelled on God's goodness to us. Jesus is looking for people who will treat others the way God has treated them. So as God has been merciful to you, even though you didn't deserve it, he calls you to be merciful to others, even if they don't deserve it. And if God has loved you, even when loving you is really hard work, God calls you to love others, even then they're really hard work. And as God has forgiven you those times when you have been willfully, willfully nasty, so you should forgive others, even if they've been willfully nasty. 
As God has been generous to you, you should be generous to others. And what Jesus does is he turns the principle of reciprocity through 90 degrees. It's not about treating you as you treat me. It's about treating you the way God treats me. And that's very, very different. It means we're not looking at other people all the time and trying to weigh up how we're going to treat them by the way in which we think they're going to treat us. We look at God, the way we, he treats us, and we make that the basis for how we engage with one another. And actually, Jesus pushes it just a little bit further to make us feel all really uncomfortable by saying God will treat us the way we treat other people. So don't judge, and you will not be judged. Don't condemn, and you will not be condemned. Give, and it will be given to you. In spades, actually. God will give far more to you than you give to others. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. Principle seems to be that God will give you more than you've given yourself, so that from the surplus he gives you, you will have even more to give to others. It's a spiral of ever-increasing grace instead of a spiral of ever-increasing enmity and violence and mistrust. Jesus calls us to be very, very different in terms of how we live in a world that keeps others at arm's length. Is it idealistic? Certainly. Is it impractical? Absolutely. Are we free to ignore it? Definitely not. Trouble is, you've heard what Jesus taught now, and that puts us all in a difficult position. Because he said anyone who hears what he has to say and doesn't put it into practice is like an idiot who builds his house on sand. There are no foundations. At the first sign of bad weather, the whole thing collapses and is washed away. If you want to build a house, you build it carefully and thoroughly, digging deep down so that the foundations of the house can be laid securely on a rock. Then when the floods come, that house stands firm. And that's hard work. That's demanding, testing stuff. And following Jesus is hard work. Putting his teaching into practice is demanding, testing stuff. But Jesus says, you hear my words, you put it into practice, you are like a wise man who takes the trouble to build his house on a rock. And it will stand you in good stead. And it will help you stand firm. So there's no escape. There's no wiggle room or, or let out. Jesus clearly expects us to live this out in practice or at least to have a jolly good stab at it. But my sympathy here is with Francois Beauvon, who simply said in his commentary on this passage, Christians should live exemplary lives. But as soon as I write this sentence, I am convinced of our inability to be Christians. So you ask me, do I live this way? Well, if a stranger asks me if they can use my mobile phone, my answer is a consistent, sorry, no. And I know that's not doing what Jesus said, and I kind of haul myself over the coals about it afterwards, but to me it still seems to be the sensible response. But I always wonder whether I've done the wrong thing. It's a challenge. It's a challenge, and it's one we're all called to embrace. 
And let's not forget that this is how Jesus lived. And we all have a long way to go when it comes to putting that into practice. A bit of me wants to say, well, we're living in very different circumstances now. Jesus was speaking to people who lived in tight-knit village communities. Everyone knew everyone else. The ethic is designed to show communities that the best way of surviving in a situation where they are oppressed by an enemy-occupying power is by not retaliating to provocation, because that will be the death of you, and you all stand together and take care of each other and watch out for each other and give to each other so that you get through what you're facing together. And in that context, his words make far more sense. But I don't think that lets us off the hook. Because we need to find ways of putting what he said into practice in 21st century Britain. And what he's saying is that the hallmark of people who follow him should be open-handedness. Open hands, first of all, to receive God's goodness and grace and love. Because we can only give as we've received from God in the first place. So open your hands to receive what God gives you. And there, there is a liberation in that. And then open hands to give that goodness, grace and love to others. To be generous, to be forgiving, to be loving, to be gracious to others as God has been to you. And for your relationship with God to be so real that it impacts on the way in which you interact with other people. And grace to reach out to the stranger, the person we don't know, the person who's different, the person we find it difficult to trust, the person we don't find it easy to communicate with. Grace to cross the boundaries to find ways of making contact and being generous. And to do all this without counting the cost. Can we do it? Without grace, we don't stand a chance. But with God's grace, at least we can make a start. Because after all, we all have the rest of our lives to learn how to do it properly and to do it well. Because if we're following Jesus, it's something we do every single day. So let's pray. Lord, as ever, your words make us uncomfortable. They challenge us. Our preconceptions, the accepted ways of relating to people, the accepted ways of protecting ourselves. You call us to be vulnerable. You call us to be generous. You call us to be forgiving and loving. Not to hide behind the fences, but to break the fences down. Lord, forgive us when we, we avoid the challenge of your teaching. Place within us such a deep-seated deep sense of love for you and commitment to you that we find ourselves actually unable to live in any other way but the way you call us to live. <coughs> Help us to put you first in our priorities. Help us to put you in charge of our relationships, particularly those ones which we find difficult. 
Lord, as you've poured your grace into our lives and changed our lives through that, open our hearts so that your grace can flow through us to others and change their lives as well. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.